0: Of History podcast. My name is Nick.
1: My name is Boots Magoots.
0: Oh my god, where did that come from?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Okay.
0: And you, this—you can call
1: me Boots.
0: And this is a Magoots. boot-based podcast where we talk about what is new and hip in the world of cowboy boots. No. So take stop it. take it away, Mika. No. What's going on? What have you seen in I've your travels seen, out there?
1: I've seen everything that don't belong on my feet i've seen bejeweled stuff i've seen swirls i've seen fringe Look, they can belong on other people's feet just not mine angel wings angel wings don't belong on my feet i am not
0: they belong on your I lower not, back
1: i am not don't tell him about my tramp <laughs> stamp damn it what's his name uh But like Hermes is like not the Greek. He has he has wings on his feet. It's how he flies. It oh. like delivers messages and stuff. Someone out there knows what I'm talking about and is also probably picturing the Percy Jackson books. Okay.
0: I was picturing the old cartoon Hercules. That too. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, so this is the number one boot bashing podcast <laughs> in the world. Thank you for tuning back. <laughs> this is the music no, history. No, no,
1: no, country boots. I Only like, country. I boots? like other boots okay. very much.
0: They're called cowboy boots, not country boots.
1: If we're going to do a boot bashing
0: podcast, you (laughs) got to (laughs) get the name right. See, my problem,
1: though, is that cowboys don't wear them. I know about three people in my life who belong wearing cowboy boots, and then the rest of them are just wearing them to come to Nashville, and it makes me sad.
0: So this is a music history podcast where we're going through the whole story of American music right now. Maybe we'll do European later, but in other cultures, but I know nothing about them. We're and very I
1: Eurocentric here.
0: <laughs> so we are on, what are we on?
1: Heck if I know. Episode
0: 42. That's a lot. We've done a lot of these.
1: God, that's so many hours of me just saying the dumbest <laughs> shit.
0: Like it feels like it was just yesterday where we were doing like Louis Armstrong, but that was 30 episodes ago.
1: Holy cow. He was
0: like episode 14 and we're on 42 right now.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: done a lot. Alright, but first. That's so cool. Our podcast within a podcast. Mika is the host now. It's taking called over, Mika is the host now. In case over, you can't understand that high-pitched squeak that she just did.
1: Taking over her Mika today. It's Boots Magoots. <laughs> coming at ya, Talking about something that's been weighing very heavily on my mind recently. It it's not Boots. It's
0: just gonna see how much more boot content we could squeeze out of our no, intro. No
1: more. No more boot content. <laughs> I like them. Except for the except for the No, I can't even say with expect the sparkly ones. I would probably have sparkly boots at some point.
0: Okay. Carry on. If
1: they were like edgy. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> like the rhinestone high heels, I'm thinking of. The ones that are just completely jewels. Have you not seen those? No. I'll look it up and show you while you continue on with your segment, please.
1: Anyway, this is a very serious moment. Um, I would just like to talk about how capitalism sucks, specifically when it comes to iced coffee. Because for the last two and a half months, I have been paying Dunkin' Donuts $3 multiple times a week for them to give me cold foam on my on my charlie d'amelio themed coffee drink okay and and i have to that's a whole nother thing i have to order the charlie every single time and 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 just like there's that that's a whole other thing until about two weeks ago where I watched them make it for the first time, and they had the audacity to pull out a can of ready whip and put it on top of my coffee. And that's how I realized that there's just been ooh, sparkly.
0: They're bejeweled shoes.
1: Those aren't boots, though. Those are no, just heels. But
0: I was talking about like that same texture on a boot.
1: Hell yeah, I would wear those.
0: It's not quite the ones I was looking for, but it'll work anyway. Carry on with your ready whip. The complaints.
1: audacity. <laughs> And the, but even more than that, because that was the moment where I realized I can do this myself. And I know that I could do it myself if I owned like a milk frother. It, But it's the principle of it, okay? It's the principle of the ease of pulling out a can of Ready Whip and putting it on top of my coffee. And the thing is, it doesn't exist anywhere near me because it's not normal Ready Whip. It's black cold foam ready whip and it's in a black can and it's super special and and I looked on the ready whip website and it does not exist anywhere near me and I'm sad and I'm mad that they got me hooked on this dumb can of ready whip (laughs) and I am paying them so much money I'm paying the price of a can of ready whip every single time that I buy this drink and they give me just a and that's it and I can't even get the ready whip for myself It's not like it's something fancy. It's Ready Whip.
0: Just figure out how to make it. That's where it's the next step. Or else you're still buying into capitalism. You're just buying from Ready Whip instead of Duncan.
1: I need a milk frother. Anyway.
0: Is that the end of your Mika's the host now?
1: Yeah, now I'm all riled
0: up. (laughs) Okay, Mika's no longer the host now. And now we're getting into a unique episode.
1: Where we review pumps. (laughs) No. The bejeweled kind, the velvet (laughs) kind, uh, the kind that would make you break your feet, the kind that belong on four-year-old children. That is the kind with the tiny little, the little heel. Okay. It just isn't really pumps. They're kitten heels. Okay.
0: I just feel like this is the episode, I don't normally do it, but I went on that spiel about how this is a music history episode where we're going, and then we're not talking about music today. We're talking about actors. We're talking about boots. (laughs) No, we're talking about actors and comedians and stuff.
1: Very excited about this.
0: This week, we're starting a brief little break from the overall grand narrative of music history that we've been talking about, and at least for the next couple weeks, I think it's five weeks total. We're focusing well, five episodes. Who knows? With us, that could be a year. We'll see.
1: It's not a year. We're
0: focusing on a particular group. So what do you know about the rat pack? What can you tell me about them?
1: Um, well, when I was younger I used to be able to like name them off based on really? their songs. Yes. It well, was not all skill. of them were singers. I know. Not all so of them. So you could do the singers? Yeah, I could do the singers there because only three we would of them. listen. I know, but like there are more than three of them that play on the Rat Pack radio that's true. station. That's true. And that's what we would listen to at my grandparents' house. And I learned, I learned their styles from cheating and looking at the TV <laughs> and seeing the name of the person who was singing. And then just to impress my grandfather. And then I, I ended up learning it.
0: Nice. Yeah. So that's not really anything about the Rat Pack. <laughs> that's just. Me.
1: I love them. <laughs>
0: okay. Cool.
1: I just, I just. So for who who do you know it, is in it? I love it because of of like the connection with like my family, like okay. that style. Sure, I nostalgic know, a little bit. Yeah, I d- I can't like just rattle off information.
0: Okay, well there. At least in the main core, there were five. Who can you name that were in there?
1: You're gonna cut out the extra time that it takes for me to think of it yes. in between the answers, right?
0: One should be a given. Well, Frank. Yes. He was He's kind of the leader. Favorite. He was the de facto leader.
1: No saying anything. I I'm get all anything. the time.
0: Okay. I'd be shocked if you got the two non-singers. Honestly.
1: Yeah, I know. But I need to, I need to know more than Frank. I need to just like dig it out from <laughs> the, the archives. One more. Dean Martin.
0: Yep. He will be. Not next episode. The one after that is Dean. And then the one after Dean Martin, we're going to do Frank.
1: I don't remember that. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Davis Jr. Fred. Fred. Mm.
0: We are going to talk about Nat King Cole. He's a bonus episode. We'll do him after Frank. Sammy Davis Jr.
1: Sammy (laughs) Davis Jr. Damn it.
0: (laughs) Okay. And then the two actors who I don't think you would ever get, Joey Bishop and Peter Lawford.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't get those. Yeah,
0: I wouldn't think you would. So today, those are the two we're talking about. But first... We'll just do a little bit of an overview on what the Rat Pack is for people who might not know. And actually, the Rat Pack that uh, we normally think of wasn't the original Rat Pack. It was the second iteration of it. The Rat Pack actually didn't start as singers at all. It was mostly just rappers. Mostly just actors. Rappers. Not rappers. (laughs) Oh, the first Rat Pack was a group of A-list celebrities and entertainers who were all good friends and spent time together, but it was unofficially led by Humphrey Bogart. Hmm. The Rat Pack was basically Humphrey Bogart's friends, and they'd often spend time in his house, just, like, hanging out and drinking and smoking and stuff. When a reporter asked Humphrey Bogart's wife what the group's purpose was, she replied, to drink a lot of bourbon and stay up late. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds that's like a group pack. I want to be a part nope. of. Unfortunately, Humphrey Bogart passed away from esophageal cancer in 1957. Esophageal. Sure. When he was only 57 years old. After that's early. After his death, Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. basically took over the Rat Pack and were the leaders of the group. Along with Frank and Sammy, the primary group included Dean Martin, Joey Bishop, and Peter Lawford. They would frequently work together, appearing in TV shows and movies, singing together on records, etc. Basically, they were the equivalent of a YouTube content house just back then.
1: (laughs) They really were because they were like probably (laughs) assholes.
0: Just partying and just making stuff that they want to make together. Making Uh, a lot of money, being super famous. They're a YouTube content group. I I love it. Today, we're talking about the two lesser known names. Well, I guess. I don't know. People might know them. I'm sure people know them, but I, th- I mean, I th- Frank, Dean, and Sammy have to be more well-known than them, right? I don't know. I'm biased. I think they have to be. Peter Lawford and Joey Bishop. This is especially unique for this podcast because they aren't musicians. Peter was an actor and producer. Joey was just kind of like an all-around entertainer and talk show host type guy. Hmm. Kind of like Conan O'Brien or something. And we're going to take them in turns. First, we're going to talk about Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford was born in London in 1923 to a British Army officer. So
1: it's not even American.
0: Well, he comes to America pretty soon.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> not American, not music. History we got. Yep. Podcast, debatable.
0: We'll see. At the time of his birth, his parents were married to other people. When his mother told her husband that the child wasn't his, that led to a double divorce. Ooh! And Peter's family was somehow related to the British aristocracy. So he was born into a little bit of like wealth and prominence, despite hmm. his parents kind of like weird family situation.
1: Yeah, I'd call that a weird family situation. <laughs> that seems apt. Yeah.
0: I think they did get married, though. His father was actually a hero of World War I. So he also had that reputation going for him, which was kind of nice.
1: All right. All right.
0: Peter spent most of his early childhood in Paris, where, owing to his family's continuous travels, he was mostly educated by private tutors. His mother said about his education, quote, having studied Peter for so long, I decided he was quite unfitted for any career except art. Oh, so I cut Latin algebra, high mathematics and substituted dramatics instead.
1: I love that. You know what? Recognize (laughs) recognize those talents and what your kid wants to learn.
0: I wish my school realized I wasn't cut out for Latin. (laughs) Stop making me take it.
1: Oh, sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I don't know if I talked about it, but like I do think his parents after the double divorce got married after that. So I think like he is living with his dad in Paris at this and they went to Paris because of the drama surrounding that whole situation. Yeah. They were kinda like run out of town. Ooh. Or they probably just left because they don't want to deal with it. Not it like my Probably
1: out, both. Eh.
0: I don't think anyone came to them and was like, You guys have to leave. It was just like we don't want to well, deal with Well, that's never this how crap. it goes. It like, it's always kind like, of how it goes.
1: No, it's I'm going to make your life living hell. S- and then sort they of, leave.
0: But, I mean I just I just wrote the episode about Nat King Cole, where the KKK basically came to him and said, "Look, you got to leave." Wow, that's but the he did So, <laughs> yeah, same thing. It that happens. That's running out of town. he uh,
1: y- y- yeah.
0: Anyway, as a kid, Peter injured his arm really badly by, in his own words, trying to run through a screen door, <laughs>
1: <laughs> as boys do. Yep, boys being boys. <laughs>
0: It was a terrible injury, and although the doctors were able to save his arm, it would be slightly deformed and hurt him throughout basically his entire life. But it did get him out of the draft for World War II, which proved to be one of the biggest periods of his acting career, because everyone else was off fighting the war. Which is kind of a theme with this Rat Pack group. hmm
1: <laughs>
0: Around 1930, at age 7, he had his first acting credit in an English film called Poor Old Bill wasn't anything major. I think he just, like, appeared for a scene or something.
1: Little seven-year-old child (laughs) actor kid with a weird (laughs) arm.
0: Yep.
1: Lucky Finn.
0: At the outbreak of World War II, the Lawfords found themselves stranded in Florida. Most of their money was... Yikes.
1: What? (laughs) (laughs) How? How do we get from Paris to stranded in Florida?
0: (laughs) They traveled around a lot. So they were probably just visiting. Yikes. And most of their money was in England, and England was now at war. So they didn't know what to do because all of their assets were now frozen. Good luck. Yep. So you're, they couldn't, you're a Florida man They now. couldn't really buy tickets back. So they were just like, well, well, we're in Florida now.
1: Paris man in Florida.
0: Peter took a job parking cars, and through that, he saved enough money to move to Hollywood and started working as a theater usher there. Oh. With war that
1: sounds fun. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. Like old Hollywood.
0: With World War II happening, there was a demand for war stories, and Peter found himself playing like bit parts, usually uncredited in those war movies.
1: But so he died a lot.
0: Probably. Just like a strapping young man who looked like a soldier, and all the real soldiers were off fighting the real war. Oh, my so God. Like, oh, we're my God. Bring you in.
1: oh, my God. Oh, my God.
0: Through the early 40s, that's basically all he was able to get unimportant bit parts in a lot of different movies but in 1943
1: every part is important if (laughs) i learned one if i learned one thing through my high school theater career it's that every (laughs) part is important even if your director calls you living furniture okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like i was a shepherd in all of the pageants in church growing up because the shepherds didn't do anything they just stood there. So it was important to you <laughs> no, that wasn't. you didn't do anything. I guess. I didn't <laughs> want to be there. So anyway. now oh, where were we? In 1943, his career stepped up a notch when he signed a contract with MGM. <laughs> <laughs> they specifically signed him because they wanted to cast him in one particular part. A young soldier in a movie called The White Cliffs of Dover. Oh. Which was an extremely popular movie.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen it.
0: I haven't either. Okay. Apparently, when Peter signed his MGM contract, his mother went to the studio head and demanded her salary be paid as Peter's personal assistant.
1: Get it, mama.
0: Well, when the studio head refused, she then claimed that Peter was homosexual and needed to be supervised. Oh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hold up. (laughs)
0: That little conversation damaged Peter's relationship with his mother for the rest of their lives.
1: I sh- 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 <laughs> I hate saying should, but like, you don't, you don't say. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the issue is that like, I mean, back then being homosexual was an issue.
1: Right. Right. Just but the then. thing
0: is he wasn't as far as we know. So basically it sounds like his mother was just trying to make something up that would oh, yeah. get her money. Because if he needed to be supervised, then she could be paid as his supervisor.
1: She's trash. So like, it sounds that like that's time, what that,
0: I mean, I, I that's me speculating, but that's what it sounds no, that's like. No, That's
1: entirely how I interpreted it. But like, let's unpack that. You're going to subject <laughs> your son to that level of like, oh, my gosh, the hate. Yeah. In order to make money. But bullshit. Get out of here
0: giving her a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, she might have assumed it would stay between her and the studio head, which is a big assumption to make. But it's she,
1: Hollywood, baby. Yeah, She
0: might have just been like, this is this will be a personal conversation. He won't tell anyone, and it'll Bull. get me paid. Bull. But either way, shouldn't have done it. Bull. After that, Peter got a few more important parts in some high-profile films and proved to be a very popular with younger audiences. Because strapping young man. All like the boys want to call him
1: strapping. I
0: mean, he's he was a good-looking dude.
1: I mean, that's a normal way to see it. You're <laughs> saying <laughs> he's a strapping he young man, strapping like you're my grandmother.
0: <laughs> Your grandmother probably liked him.
1: She probably did.
0: <laughs> but his first lead role came in a movie called Son of Lassie in 1945. Which was a big box office hit, even though I've never heard of it.
1: I've never heard of it either. Did he play a puppy? He played a puppy,
0: yeah. (laughs) It was like Lion King on Broadway, except they're dressed up as dogs and it's less cool.
1: Gotcha. First furry.
0: From there, his career exploded. He was voted the most popular actor in America in 1946, possibly because Clark Gable and James Stewart went to war. So he got a few more parts that he normally wouldn't have gotten because those guys weren't there. And they were the big movie stars in that time. Yeah. I didn't know James Stewart went to war until I I was researching this. I don't know James Stewart. Isn't he... It's a Wonderful Life? I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's It's a Wonderful Life.
1: Sorry, Jess. I know you're cringing. I don't know these things. He was
0: like the biggest actor. Like Jimmy Stewart was... He was in It's a Wonderful Life, Vertigo, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He was in he was the big, big time actor he's back then.
1: The, he's the strapping man. Sure. <laughs> Lead acting man.
0: Yeah, he was I mean, because he was nah, whatever. This isn't a Jimmy Stewart podcast. Through the rest of the forties and early fifties, Peter was a star leading man in Hollywood. He starred in several films, some flops and some hits was seen as a witty, charming sex symbol and was a huge star amongst younger audiences.
1: I need to see a picture of this sex symbol. All like right. I don't know about you guys, but you're probably Googling it right now if you're not in the car. I need to see this piece of, of man Strapping.
0: Candy. The first picture pulled up was him older, which hey, probably is not going still,
1: to. Still has, still has the ability to strap.
0: <laughs> well, here he is with some actress i don't know looking very sensual and romantic
1: ooh, ooh. i like the the necklace
0: okay well that's peter lawford okay good looking british kid with a slightly deformed arm around the 50s peter started to focus on television as that like boom kind of started that was when all the television started really happening he landed a role in a sitcom that only lasted 32 episodes, and then he landed- that seems
1: pretty good for a sitcom, though.
0: I, get, like, I mean that's to start. probably about a season. At least it would be now. I don't know what it would have been back then. Uh, he also landed a few other parts in television shows, but nothing like major. He also married Patricia Kennedy, who was JFK's sister.
1: I was going to say. Yep. She's a Kennedy?
0: At the time, JFK was only a senator- But Peter would become a huge supporter of his campaign for president, naturally. In 1959, Peter was officially invited to join the Rat Pack by Frank Sinatra. He, Sinatra, and a few of the other Rat Pack guys started to appear in movies together, like Ocean's Eleven in 1960.
1: I literally just, as we were having this conversation, found out that there's a Rat Pack Ocean's Eleven and I'm so excited.
0: The original Ocean's Eleven.
1: I'm so excited.
0: At least I think I'm pretty sure it's the original.
1: I'm so excited. In
0: 1960, he also became an official U.S. citizen. He cool. He also was very involved in his brother's brother-in-law's presidential campaign and starred in a few different movies, as you do. You know, busy year. <laughs> Along with continuing his acting career, Peter started a production company named Chris Law Productions, which was named after his son Christopher. I don't know where the law came from, but, you know. The company produced a few different movies to various levels of success. Nothing like major, you know. They weren't making Casablanca or anything.
1: Right, right, right. It was like Daddy Daycare.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Or Paul Blart
1: public that's a good very one. very
0: good box office success no yep. one cares about it after that cool on the screen peter was witty sophisticated charming and handsome but his real life was oftentimes darker and grittier
1: oh, you don't say
0: as would be a theme with most of the rat pack members.
1: as would be a theme with <laughs> almost every single person
0: except in the
1: arts apparently Except it
0: sounds like bing crosby who is just oh. like yeah i'm this carefree laid-back guy i don't really care about anything ever That was his on-screen persona and his real life. By the end of his life, Peter was addicted to drugs, alcohol, and prostitutes. The big three. (laughs) He also reportedly accepted $15,000 to tell the paparazzi the name of the rehab that Elizabeth Taylor, who was his good friend, checked into.
1: Oh, that's bitchy.
0: Reportedly. Never admitted to that. No one really knows, but it's suspected that he's the one who did it. It's weird that they wouldn't know the price amount if it wasn't true, though. Unless well, someone just made that up.
1: Made, made up the number.
0: Also, Peter was the person who allegedly introduced Marilyn Monroe to JFK and started that legendary, alleged affair. <laughs> I saw this somewhere. I was not able okay. to verify it. So this could be wrong but I read it in one in of the In addition articles. to, like, all the other alleged Yeah, everything things. could be. Well, see, I said allegedly <laughs> Allegedly! There, but I read somewhere that he was the person who cleaned up Marilyn Monroe's apartment after her suicide to make sure there were no links to the Kennedy's family in her place. Oh, damn. But, like, I don't... I Like, I looked into a lot, like, this... I went down a rabbit hole of JFK and Marilyn Monroe and nowhere else said that. Nowhere said that her apartment was cleaned up to, like... Removed ties so that could have been like a one-off thing i read in some biography that wasn't true sweet Mary, throw that out there (laughs) because apparently like there's it's kind of widely realized now that they probably weren't having an affair like it was that probably wasn't it was probably just like a legendary story that came up but you know whatever that's that's a different story
1: i don't know if i'm ever going to fall on the side of they're not having an affair not them specifically but like I'm more apt to believe that people are having affairs, not us. Yeah. But like, and if you would generally just ask me, I'm more likely to believe affair than not affair. Yeah. I think
0: <laughs> the whole legend came from like one time she called someone and said they slept together maybe, or like her friend. I don't, I can't remember. I wrote mm-hmm. this a long time ago, but like when I was looking at it, I was like, well, that doesn't look convincing, but you know, whatever. Interesting. You can have your own theories about that.
1: I, I mean, I, I,
0: yeah. Don't care, but I'm just <laughs> saying.
1: Like people in general.
0: Yeah. Peter Lawford's relationship with JFK also strained his relationship with Frank Sinatra. At one time in 1962, JFK was supposed to stay with Sinatra in California, and Sinatra was super hyped about that.
1: That's so dorky. He
0: even installed a helicopter pad at oh his my house God. So Frank or so JFK could just land there. I mean, I'd be pretty excited if the president was going to come stay with me.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) But at the last second, JFK decided to not stay with Frank, and Frank blamed Peter for that. Not really sure how Frank reached that conclusion. It just kind of, I think he was just like, well, Peter's the closest to JFK. But really, it was because Bobby Kennedy, JFK's brother... Was concerned about Frank's longtime relationship with the Mafia and the rumors that were starting to circulate about that. So it he seems
1: ad- like a reason to keep the president yeah. out of that. So
0: he advised JFK to stay with Bing, Bing Crosby instead.
1: Oh! <laughs> yeah, that that had to be that had to hurt
0: Frank. <laughs> Frank thought Peter didn't do enough to stick up for Frank, so Frank banned him from the Rat Pack. Oh
1: my God, that's so which- petty.
0: Also is a consistent theme. <laughs> the more you Frank. The rat pack. Frank getting his feelings hurt and then banning people from the Frank, rat pack. Frank, my
1: man. <laughs> I'm there, not ready. I'm not ready for the Frank episode. because I, I just want to be able to listen to that beautiful, beautiful voice and not feel despair.
0: <laughs> the thing is, Frank's episode, I'll talk more about this when we get there. For Frank's, it's difficult because like... There could be an entire freaking podcast about Frank Sinatra's life. I tried to focus the episode so it wouldn't be five hours long on like basically just his career. Mm. So we touch on his personal stuff a little bit, but like it would take a whole nother two episodes to cover his personal life. Man, I'm so it's I'm mostly so torn. just his career.
1: I'm so torn because I want to know about his career, but I also want to know the T. <laughs> but I don't want to be mad every time yeah. I listen to his music.
0: I mean, like, we'll we'll talk. We'll,
1: but I want to know the tea.
0: Basically, I cover his personal life the same as I would other people we've talked about. Okay. So, like, it's a little bit, but we're not going deep like people generally want to when you talk about Frank.
1: We're not giving the people what they want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. We're okay. So, yeah, he's mad. Peter got kicked out of the Rat Pack. JFK is staying with Bing instead, which Frank had to have hated because Frank wanted to be Bing very badly. Bing. So their friendship was officially over, and they would really only speak one more time. In 1963, when Frank's son was kidnapped, and Frank wanted the help of Peter's brother-in-law to find him. What? Yeah. His son was kidnapped after, like, a... I think his son was older at this time. What? Like, 17, 18, and there's a lot of theories that it was staged, like, not by Frank, but by his son. I think it was Frank Jr., think that's his name they think he like staged it with some friends but you know whatever i don't think we talk about that in the episode
1: what we can't just gloss <laughs> over that are you kidding me
0: i mean in the story of frank's life it was pretty <laughs> unsubstantial what the heck he lived a wild life
1: we have to talk more about it write a second episode <laughs> i don't care
0: frank part two of the T. yes okay well anyway frank called Peter Lawford to see if Peter could get, like, because Bobby Kennedy was the director of, he wasn't the director of the FBI, but he was, like. Homeland
1: Security.
0: I mean, it was something like that. He was, like, he was some high-ranking, like, law enforcement person, Bobby Kennedy was. CIA. And so, Frank wanted Bobby's help in getting his son back, and Peter just kind of didn't do that, so that further hurt the relationship.
1: Federal Bureau of Ice Cream.
0: Okay, we're slowly u- losing you, and we have a whole nother person to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Peter and Patricia Kennedy divorced in nineteen sixty six after having four children, allegedly because of Peter's continuous infidelity.
1: allegedly <laughs>
0: allegedly I mean they never admitted it, but his addiction to <laughs> prostitutes probably didn't help. <laughs>
1: I call that infidelity. <laughs> just me personally. I'd like to clear that up between you and me. Just put that like definition All down. Right. <laughs> I think infidelity includes prostitutes. Okay. Good to know. Just, just, that's a no go <laughs> for me personally.
0: <laughs> also his feud with Frank caused him to miss out on quite a few different movie roles in his later career. Cause Frank had a way it's of kind of like blacklisting people if he could. On Christmas Eve, 1984, Peter passed away at the age of 61 from cardiac arrest. Aww. His years of substance abuse caused his liver and kidneys to fail. As they do. Yep. So that was Peter Lawford. That was his story. All right. We've, I'm kind of taking them a little bit shorter because there's two people to cover and they're not musicians and this is a music history podcast, so you, they're a little bit shorter. You, but, but, you
1: just re that this is music history.
0: It is. I just mean, if you had, if you had skipped the intro and just tuned in here, you wouldn't know that.
1: Let it be. Who turns in? Who tunes in? <laughs> Thirty-five minutes into, I don't know. Five minutes of that is me trying to name the Rat Pack. Who tunes in? Thirty minutes into it, the podcast.
0: Maybe they started of listening. They don't want to hear you talk about Ready Whip, so they just fast forwarded a bunch. Who doesn't
1: want to hear the saga of Ready Whip Cold Foam? <laughs> I don't
0: know. Crazy people.
1: Yeah, for real.
0: Are you ready for Joey Bishop?
1: Yeah. Not as interesting as what I have to say, but (laughs) sure.
0: Joey Bishop was born in 1918 in New York City, and he was the son to Polish immigrants, but he grew up in Philadelphia. So kind of all over the place. His father was a bicycle repairman.
1: That's adorable.
0: Joey was the youngest of five children, and he learned a few different entertainment avenues as a kid. He learned to tap dance, how to play the mandolin and the banjo, and do imitations. I love him. He would be happy to hear you say that.
1: Oh. (laughs) Oh. Is he a middle child? A
0: little bit. Oh. Well, he was the youngest of his kids, but he he has a middle child attitude in the Rat Pack. Oh. Joey dropped out of school at age 18 to perform as a comedian in vaudeville shows with his brother. He joined another comedy group called the Bishop's Trio, and when the group broke up, he took the name as, he took the name of the trio as his last name and became Joey Bishop. Don't know why he decided to do that, but he did.
1: It's his secret identity. <laughs>
0: it's a it's a bad one. His early career was interrupted when he was drafted and served in World War II. All un- right. Until his discharge in 1945.
1: <laughs> Thank you for your service.
0: After he got out, yep. Yeah. After he got out, his career resumed basically where it left off. He appeared on TV in 1948, but didn't really go anywhere. He was just kind of floundering a little bit. In 1950, he appeared on the Ed Sullivan show and then performed a few different late night shows in the early days of television. Joey was known as a master ad-libber and was renowned for his practice of never memorizing his jokes.
1: I feel like I would really enjoy this guy.
0: Probably. He said, quote, the kick is to think quickly, and it's a great kick. The sort of appro- That sort of approach to his comedy really intrigued Frank Sinatra, who first saw him perform in the early 50s in Manhattan. Sinatra then invited Joey to open for him at a show in New Jersey. That's fun. Apparently, that went really well, and Joey became a regular opener for Frank and was actually known as Frank Sinatra's comic. It was like his mm. unofficial title. Hmm. He also started to get shows at top clubs, even without Frank. Like Frank was just kind of the springboard. You don't board. need him.
1: You don't need him, <laughs> buddy.
0: Joey also became a substitute host on The Tonight Show after the first host left and before they hired Johnny Carson. Of course, he's not going to be able to be Johnny Carson, but he was the filling.
1: I don't know who all the hosts are.
0: Well, Johnny Carson is like the big one. Okay. Like before Letterman. Like Letterman was like hmm. the... I guess 80s, ni- like 90s was Letterman. But right. Johnny Carson was, was like before. 60s, 70s. He was the it guy. Okay. He started, uh, Joey, not Johnny Carson. Joey started appearing regularly on What's My Line, which was a popular game show.
1: Is that something that you've watched clips of?
0: What's My Line? Yeah. I don't think so. Well,
1: it just sounds like one of those like shows that you'll just throw on YouTube and watch. Oh, no.
0: Oh. I don't. I haven't heard of it. I mean, it, I might recognize it, like if I see it, but mm-hmm. I don't know it by the name. Mm-hmm. But it was a popular game show. He starred in a sitcom called The Joey Bishop Show that had a rocky run. It was canceled twice by two different networks.
1: Anything that's called the name of the person <laughs> and then show at the end, I'm not interested <laughs> in watching. That they just all sound very mediocre.
0: The Dana Carvey Show was apparently really good. I think that's where like. Stephen Colbert got his start, Hmm. along with some other person. So for a little bit, despite his show's cancellation, he was still kind of the it thing in comedy. Like, he was the guy everyone wanted. In response to the wild success of Carson's Tonight Show, ABC approached Joey and asked him to create a late-night show called The Joey Bishop Show, again.
1: That sounds confusing.
0: But this isn't a sitcom. This is... A tonight like a variety right. show that still sounds confusing it, yeah it again it got off to a rocky start with a lot of critics saying he didn't quite know how to interview people yet but the show got decent ratings and was noted for the parade of celebrity guests that appeared
1: honestly like does it matter if you know how to interview someone i feel like you just like ask one question and then stop talking and I then like, like as they say something you're like oh tell me more about that like that's Maybe. basically how you talk I to think people
0: <laughs> I think you can tell I mm. think you can tell when someone's bad at interviewing and it's just awkward and weird and mm. like they can make the person they're interviewing just feel off and mm. weird. like he's got and like I feel like Jimmy Fallon is an expert interviewer like he's really yeah. good at just getting people to feel like they're just hanging out with a friend
1: that is that's true that's a good skill
0: yeah and for some reason Joey had a knack for getting celebrity guests to admit things that they previously had not admitted.
1: Amazing.
0: Like alcohol addiction, marijuana use, and in the case of Red Fox, their struggles with racial discrimination.
1: Oh. Yeah,
0: so he's, sounds like he's just a good ear. People want to talk to him. But no one on the late night circuit could challenge the great Johnny Carson, and in 1969, Joey's ratings plummeted, and ABC canceled the show. Bummer. But, His sidekick on that show was Regis Philbin, who went on to a pretty decent career. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's that guy from How I Met Your Mother.
0: Yep, the guy who wants a burger.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: I really hope that's not the only thing you know Regis Philbin. Of course it's not. Okay, good. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know with you.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's fair, but no.
0: I used to watch... Regis and Kelly every morning in middle school because my mom would watch it, and that's what would be on when I woke up. That's cute. So I would watch that, and then I would go for a run around the neighborhood. That was my morning routine in the summers. Nice. (laughs) Along with his work on TV, Joey had a few roles in films, but those were generally overshadowed. They were normally straight roles and didn't allow him to show off his comedic timing or ad living ability.
1: That's lame. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's hard to show off an ad ad living type
1: you just have to Talent. feature him. You just have to like throw him in there and have them do like a gag thing. I guess. And then that's it. I and then they don't like... they, they don't impact the rest of the movie. They're just like there for that minute.
0: <laughs> I still just feel like it, like his skill is ad-libbing and off the cuff. And that's harder to do in a movie because it's all scripted and like very yeah rigid. But like the television variety shows, it's perfect for that. Yeah. So that's where he really shone. He also starred in Ocean's Eleven with Sinatra and Peter Lawford, as well as performing multiple times at the Sands Casino in Las Vegas, which was one of Sinatra's primary venues. It was also the one he co-owned with the mafia, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) In terms of his association with the Rat Pack, he was always kind of like the odd man out. The rest of the guys were charismatic, slick, and charming. They were the jocks and the cool guys. And Joey was never really that.
1: See, this is my type of guy, though. (laughs) Like, I'm in. He's my new favorite.
0: He often called himself the mascot of the Rat Pack because he didn't have that typical Rat Pack persona. Hmm. Or image, honestly.
1: Show me the pics. Show me the pics. I'm
0: going to finish this paragraph and then I will so I don't lose my place. Okay. He also couldn't really keep up with the others when it came to drinking and partying.
1: Oh no. <laughs> but he
0: was responsible for writing a lot of the material for the Rat Packs performances, Not so cool. he deserves a ton of credit for, for their success. Nice. Like he kind of like helped orchestrate their on when they performed on stage in Vegas together. Like he orchestrated a lot of that comedic yeah. timing and riffing and stuff. Okay. Let's look up Joey.
1: I hope that he was happy with his life like i mean I'm it sure sucks to be one. it sucks to be in a shadow but also it sucks less than dying from substance abuse
0: there's little joey
1: oh little joey look at him
0: look at him well they can't this is a podcast
1: i think he's cute look at that little nose
0: i mean He's cute, but he's no Dean Martin or Peter Lawford.
1: Yeah, Peter Lawford. I mean, scrapping
0: (laughs) Joey spent most of the 60s on top. He was a top comedian with a lot of great appearances on television, but the cancellation of his late-night show hit him really hard, and he never really recovered from that. He viewed it as the end of his career.
1: Well, with that attitude...
0: One biography about him said that Joey was, quote, a man who knew what he wanted, worked for years to achieve it, and then let it go much too quickly. After his show's cancellation, Joey performed on the club circuit again, but he started to withdraw more and more from the showbiz spotlight. This was around the time the rest of the Rat Pack started to get into various different kinds of trouble, so he might have just wanted to stay you away from it all. just take a
1: step back, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: like, this is when frank started like really getting hit hard with his whole mafia stuff and running over reporters and stuff like that
1: oh yeah yeah yeah
0: and yeah so after the 70s he only ever appeared in three other films and he'd show up from time to time as a guest on some television shows but he'd never like never willingly got back into the spotlight he married a woman named Sylvia in 1941, and they had one son who went on to become a successful actor and director in his own right. Nice. The two stay married for 58 years until nice. her death from lung cancer in 1999.
1: Nice. See, there we go. Yeah.
0: Like, so he was married during the entire rap Pack thing. Like, it sounds like pretty faithfully to his wife, too, because they married in 41. Yeah. and The rap hack wasn't really a thing until the late 50s.
1: I don't know. I think this guy won. <laughs>
0: After Frank's death in 1998, Joey became the last surviving Rat Pack member, even though he often wasn't seen as a Rat Pack member. Oh. According to a book written about the Rat Pack, Joey was fairly bitter in his later years. He always felt like an outcast in the Rat Pack and didn't think he got the recognition that he deserved. Yeah. He thought that being in the Rat Pack overshadowed the other great things he achieved in his career and resented that a little bit. Yeah. Like he'll forever be known as that guy in the Rat Pack instead of what he did. Like almost everyone else of the time, Joey had his falling out with Frank Sinatra. Frank asked him to fill in for him at a performance because Frank had another engagement. So he wanted Joey to do it instead. Joey was at the height of his career at this time and, according to some people, had a bit of an ego about it. Oh, no. So he called Frank with a list of demands, including $50,000 in use of a private jet. Oh, my God. Frank thought he was largely responsible for Joey's success, so these demands didn't sit well with him, and he cut him out of the rat pack.
1: Dear God.
0: <laughs> Frank so
1: petty. All of this is so petty.
0: Frank was all about loyalty, and if someone got on his bad side, Frank never forgot it.
1: See, I don't trust people who are all about loyalty. Yeah. They never Cause
0: reconcile. Because if you're
1: all about loyalty, you don't do that to a friend. So, yeah. like, I call bullshit people who are like, I'm all about loyalty. I'm loyal. Well, I'm Frank loyal. Frank would argue they like, did it first. No.
0: But either way, they never reconciled after that situation. God. Sounds like Joey felt bitter about seeing about being seen as a lackluster comedian who got lucky by begging Frank for scraps. But Joey knew how hard he worked get to get to where he was at and knew how good he was. So he resented that image of himself. But he always loved Frank and would stand up for him all the time. Oh. He just got annoyed that the Rat Pack was seen as Frank, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. And that was it. Right. He felt forgotten. Also, as the Rat Pack member who lived the longest, he got to see the most movies and books and TV specials about the Rat Pack. Oh. Most of them completely left him out.
1: Damn. That's tough.
0: After a period of steadily declining health, Joey passed away from multiple organ failure in 2007. Mm. That's that's Joey Bishop and Peter Lawford.
1: All right. Kind of cool. I like it.
0: Cool to learn about non-musicians. I dig them. Next episode, we're talking about Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. Then we're going to do Dean Martin. I think Dean, if I remember correctly, was the only one that Frank never kicked out of the Rat Pack. Because I think Dean was just too, like, too charming for people to really get mad at. So, like, Frank never got mad at him because he's he's Dino.
1: That's that's the way to do it. Yeah.
0: And then we're going to have a bonus episode on Nat King Cole, and then we're done with the Rat Pack.
1: How about Sammy?
0: I said Sammy's next week.
1: Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay.
0: It's Sammy Davis Jr., then Dean Martin, then Frank, and then Nat King Cole. I don't listen well. Yes. Yeah. All right. Anything you want to say about Peter or Joey before we sign off?
1: I like the babies. <laughs> okay.
0: Is that it? Yep. All right. Someone get Mika her ready whip. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will give you our address if you <laughs> send me ready whip. If you
0: somehow work at Duncan and have access to that ready whip, and can sneak us a few bottles. Help me. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you next week. If not soon for Sammy.
1: Peace. Bye. Happy. May the fourth be with you. Happy Taco Day.
0: Both of those have already passed by the time this goes up.
1: That's okay. (laughs) Joey Bishop. No, 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 and Peter Lawford. No, 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 no. That had like a Drake and Josh feel.